Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Jay Acker with Keller Williams Realty in Denton, Texas. Last year, he, his wife Carissa, and team closed 380 transactions with a total sales volume of $93 million and earned $2.5 million in GCI. His average sales price was $244,000, of which 55% were buyers and 45% were sellers. Jay has a 24-member team, 18 team agents, one transaction coordinator, one listing manager, one marketing manager, one runner, one COO, and one CEO. Jay is the COO of the Real Estate by Design Group. He's been an agent for 12 years and works the Dallas-Fort Worth market. In this call, Jay talks about working in property management and corporate relocation before joining forces with his wife to start a real estate team. How to work successfully with your spouse by defining roles. Retooling the business during the market fluctuations. Three major mistakes he made growing the business and the lessons he learned. How he gets 70% of his business by repeating referrals from past clients in sphere of influence. Why he throws a mix of small and big client events. How one event resulted in 18 referrals and 11 closings. Running a staff lean team for efficiency and profit. Team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Jay. Thanks for having me, Mike. Glad to be here. Hey, Jay, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Okay. Um, well, it's a long and sordid story. I was in the military, moved to Texas in 1993, where I met my wife the second day I lived here. She and I both within 24 months of meeting were actually in property management. She went on to work in REOs, working specifically for Freddie Mac, and I went on to sell corporate relocation policies for a large third-party corporate relocation provider. Wow. Okay. Gee willikers. How'd you get into that business? It's a kind of a funny story. I shattered my heels when I was in the military, and the only way they were going to fix was by getting a job where I could sit down found a job in a property management company for multifamily where I could actually sit behind a desk for a couple of years with, uh, with casts on both feet and let my, my feet heal up. And they did. Thank goodness. I got to ask, how did that happen? How did you shatter both heels? Boy, I don't know if I should state it for the record, but uh, we were in Norway. It was in the middle of the night and our ship was bashed going across the North Atlantic and we were tied up to another ship. And it was about two o'clock in the morning, snowing sideways, and we were jumping from ship to ship, working on hours all day. And the tide had gone down 18 feet in the couple of hours that we had taken off. And when I jumped to my ship, it was no longer there. I couldn't see anything because it was pitch black. And I thought I had fallen between the ships. And right about the time I started 
saying my prayers, I hit the deck of the ship and shattered my feet. Wow. Sounds like a wild movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my hero story from being in the military. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, I'm glad you survived it. And, uh, and are your feet working now? I mean, can you walk and run and everything? Everything's great. Oh, yeah. We're turning and burning. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, thank you for your service, and I'm glad that you've healed. Thank you so much. That's awesome. And so you, you needed a job where you needed to sit down and let yourself heal, and you got into property management. And what drew you into the sales side of the business? Uh, it's a funny story. I, I complained incessantly about property management and having to chase people down and take people to court for evictions. And unbeknownst to me, my wife, Carissa, had sent my resume off to a California-based relocation company. And I came home from work one day, and she said, hey, this guy called for you. Of course, this is just the beginning stages of the cell phone world. And um, he wants you to call him. So I called him up. We lined up an interview. I flew to California. And at that point, I didn't even know what it was for. I got off the phone, looked at my wife, and said, what was that? Went up to California, interviewed for several days, and, uh, and really just kind of jumped into it from there and just fell in love with, you know, obviously real estate, but the bigger picture being the corporate reload side of things. That is cool. Do you still do a lot of reload business now? We do. We've got a lot of contacts built in with um, many of the Fortune 500s here in Texas, and we've got a lot of contacts still with the third-party providers. So we do a fair bit of, of relocation business coming in and out of our service areas. What percentage of your current business do you think that is? Probably 5 to 7%. Well, let's do this. Let's uh, bring everybody up to today. So how long have you been in real estate? I was licensed in 2006. So we're talking about 12 years or so? Correct. Last year, how many homes did you sell and what was the sales volume? Uh, we closed on 380 homes last year for approximately $93 million in volume. Wow, that is great. And do you recall the GCI? The GCI was about two and a half million. <laughs> That's fantastic. That is good stuff. Thank you. And just curiosity over your career, do you recall approximately how many homes you've sold and what the sales volume was? I've gone back and put crude numbers to it because in the beginning stages, we didn't really keep track of our numbers, which was a sin, by the way. And I, and I estimate we've probably sold on the line of about 2,400 homes for close to a half a billion in volume. So a half a billion dollars. Congratulations. Excited to talk to you and learn more today. Now, you mentioned that you and your wife, Carissa, worked together. Have you been working together since the beginning, since 2006? We sure have. Actually, my wife worked for Freddie Mac, as I mentioned, and she actually started our business in 2004. She had actually had a side business that was a, a transaction coordination or a contract to close business. And... I kind of reversed the tables on her. She complained that all these agents that were her clients weren't very detail-oriented and with very little effort could have made so much more out of their business. And so I said, well, why don't you do real estate? And lo and behold, six months later, she had gotten out of that, sold a transaction business, wasn't working at Freddie Mac anymore, started doing real estate in 2004. Okay. And then you rolled in the 2006 and seven. the recession was starting in. Did you guys go into REO or did you stay on the retail side? We really focused on REO at that point. Again, the relationships that we had forged through her experience with the foreclosure business really helped out a bunch. So we had a lot of smaller banks that were clients. Carissa spent a lot of time working short sales, and this is back before short sales were cool. 
And she would literally go out and hats off to her. And I don't tell her how great she was enough. She would go out to areas that traditionally had distressed owners and go around literally at seven o'clock at night, driving around looking for unkept yards and things piled up on front doors and just go knock on their door, introduce herself and say, Hey, my name's Carissa. I specialize in short sales. If you know of anyone in this area who may need help, I would love to talk to them. And in most cases, a lot of those people would stop her right there, invite her in, or call her back an hour later and say, hey, you were just at my house. We're upside down. We're in a bad spot. We'd love for you to help us out. That really shows her tenacity to go out there, drive around, look for distressed properties, and knock on the door. That takes a lot of courage. Yeah, I think it's a necessary evil in this business if you want longevity and success. Well, very good. Well, those REO days are hopefully behind us and won't come back for a while. So I assume that most of your business today is retail? Yes. So in 2011, approximately 150 of our sides closed were foreclosures. These are Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, and several other smaller lending institutions. In 2012, all the economists were saying, we've got five to seven more years of a heavy REO market. And then literally in 2013, the faucet, it just shut off. So in 2012, we had decided at that point, we've got way too many eggs in the REO basket. We've got to diversify, become more traditional. And thank goodness we did at that point, because we probably would have been out of business in, in 2013 had we not done that. So yes, and last year out of 380 units, I believe two of those closings were REOs. Everything else was traditional. Now you are running a husband and wife team, and there are some other folks out there listening who are either thinking about doing that or currently doing it. How do you make it work? What's the key to success of working with your spouse? Boy, I wish there were a magic bullet to answer that question. Um, it's certainly not easy. I think one of the big keys is to have a very clearly set, defined role for each person in the business. In our case, it's pretty simple. Even though there's a lot of bleed over at times, she is very much a visionary, a really big thinker, a really big dreamer, and I'm all about the details and the execution of a plan. So we complement each other for that from that standpoint, but it did take us four or five years of butting heads trying to figure that out. And that kind of happened naturally through osmosis, through a lot of coaching with other husband-wife teams and other leaders that we have a lot of respect for. In the beginning, were you trying to do everything together? Were you trying to crisscross and both sell and both be on the back end and the transactions? Is that what was happening? You were trying to do everything? Yeah, my main function when I came on board in 2006 was not selling. It was about establishing systems and a way to keep up with everything to make sure it was running as efficiently as possible and we could absorb new growth as it came in, whether it be distressed sales or traditional business. And then again, through trial and error and a lot of mistakes along the way, we kind of figured out we need to be doing this. Carissa, here's your, here's your core three or four things that you're handling. Jay, here are your three or four things. We're going to meet once a week to talk about how those are intertwined. Aha. And in those early years, what was that division? You know, before the team got big, which we'll talk about in a minute, I assume that maybe Carissa was out selling and you were running the back office. Is that the way you guys kind of started? That's exactly how we started. And that's really how it is now. Not much has changed from that model. Of course, it's gotten a lot deeper and a lot broader, but that's really the same template we're working from today. Very good. And that became a formula that played out. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now, you mentioned when we were getting ready for the call here that you've made some mistakes along the way. Would you mention a couple of those mistakes that you've all made in your pursuit for this business and the growth? 
Absolutely. Yeah, we've made tons of mistakes, and I'm always happy to share those. Um, you know, we like to fail our way forward, that's for sure. I think critical mistakes we've made are chasing the shiny object and thinking there's a, you know, a magic fix to our problems or a magic fix to helping us increase our business. Throwing money at some sort of vehicle that's going to bring in leads that we can convert quicker and easier. You know, there's so many things out there that people can get wrapped up into and sucked into the marketing of. And I still go back to the fact that the old-fashioned elbow grease doing the dirty work that nobody else is willing to do is where your success comes from. And I'll even revert back to the story about Carissa knocking on doors at night. We have agents on our team now who do the exact same thing. You know, they'll find an expired listing. They'll try to call. If they don't actually reach somebody, they'll go door knock them. Nothing like getting out there and getting face-to-face, is it? Absolutely. There's that, you cannot put a value on that sort of stuff. Uh, but perhaps our, our largest mistake ever was not keeping track of our numbers. We assumed we knew where we were from a financial standpoint, from a growth standpoint, from a happiness standpoint, everything. And in 2012, we finally bit the bullet and got ourselves a business coach. And that was really, a, really a game changer for us. I mean, we spent the first 12 months with our coach doing nothing but dissecting our business. And understanding our numbers, and we're still working on it today. There's a program that IBM wrote forever ago called Six Sigma, and the whole premise of the program is all about tearing down your business to the smallest atomic level you possibly can, making sure each one of those tiny little pieces is working as efficiently as it possibly can, and then putting it back together. So that's really, we spent years doing that with our business. Now, you mentioned the numbers, that you're constantly looking at the numbers. I assume that means you're looking at a P&L often. How often are you reviewing it? Uh, we're looking at it at least once a week, and we have meetings with our accountant twice a month. So we have a review of our preliminary P&Ls, and then we have a final review of our P&Ls once we've made adjustments. Twice per month meeting with your accountant, you really are digging in. You don't want to miss anything. Well, sure. And when we go back and, and report our numbers to people, we want to make sure they're accurate. We want to know where our arrows are best, you know, the direction they're best shot in, essentially from a marketing standpoint. I have to make an assumption that something went wrong to get you onto that path. Did you have an off year or a surprise year where you didn't make as much as you thought you were making? Um, in 2013, we, we really stagnated. Again, that's when the REO market dried up. So I think, believe it, closed 206 transactions that year. It was the exact same from 2011. So that was the one year between 11 and 12, we had zero growth. And that was a big eye-opener. Again, we want to shift our focus over towards traditional and keep building that side out. But we were spending lots of money on things that weren't doing anything for us. So in 2012, again, that's where we really started to hold every single dollar we were spending marketing-wise accountable. And in order to hold those dollars accountable, you have to be doing something called tracking. Is that the big change? You started to really focus on the tracking? Exactly. So essentially, we have, we've had a transaction coordinator for years and years. And when we would turn in a completed contract, we had very vague descriptions of where that generated from or where it originated from. And now we've got to drop down with probably 25 different categories where that thing could fall, whether it be Zillow that we're paying for in a certain zip code, or was it Zillow that somebody read about us through a review? You know, was it Facebook that we ran for an open house, or was it Facebook that we ran for new construction in a certain area? We want to get really, really micro about where these things are coming from. 
I also assume that instead of waiting until the end, you have a contract or a closing to ask the question of the source of the business. You're trying to identify that early on when that lead first comes in. Is that true? You bet. We want to know up front. And when that contract is turned in, every agent on our team, they know that Elizabeth, our contract to close person, is going to chase them down if that's not on their paperwork. So that is a, that's a vital piece of the puzzle. Sure. And you said it's already in your CRM. So again, you're probably identifying that right as that lead comes in, or you're hoping your agent's doing that. You're asking them to do that so that you can hit that right on the head. You get it exactly so it's not somebody's fuzzy memory. Exactly. We don't want to have to have somebody try to recall where it came from and it become a guessing game at that point, because there your inaccuracy is, is coming into play. <laughs> this is good stuff. Well, Jay, so everybody knows, tell us, where are you at? Where is Denton, Texas? Denton, Texas is a city of about 100,000 people. We're essentially a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, we're in the northern half of the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex. And we've got teams as well in Austin and in San Antonio. Ah, so you've done some expansion. We have. We sure did. We expanded to San Antonio two years ago and, uh, and just launched in Austin six months ago. Very good. And is your core business still there in Denton? It is. We, we call Denton the hub. So of the 380 deals we did last year, about 280 of those were out of the DFW area. Excellent. Well, we'll come back to expansion. Focusing there on Denton, what is your average sales price? Average sales price here is about 269, 269,000. Okay, very good. And do you tend to work the entry level, the middle of the market, the upper end? We work at all. We, we really do a great job with first-time buyers, or we have, I don't know, some sort of magnetic attraction to bringing first-time buyers in, but across the gamut. I mean, we do $5,000 lots up to $1.5 million listings, which we have active right now. So we really pride ourselves, especially from a listing perspective, on treating every single listing the exact same way and offering the same suite of services. If I understand correctly, the majority of your business, about 70% of your business, is coming from repeat and referrals from past clients and sphere of influence. So I'd like to jump into that and talk about it for a minute or two. Could you tell us how big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? Well, this kind of goes back to the question about biggest mistakes we've made. One of the bigger mistakes we've ever made was not keeping a database until about three and a half, four years ago. So there were about 2,000 past clients that we had never kept track of which is just the ultimate sin in this business as we're figuring out. We've got a really structured program in place where we are touching those folks past client year database 33 times a year. And at minimum, four of those contacts are phone conversations. So everybody on our team is tasked to call each person in their own database as well as our own team database at least once a quarter to touch base and talk about anything under the sun just to have a conversation so you're at the forefront of their minds when they hear about a neighbor who needs to sell their home. We also have really great client events that we started putting in place very consistently about two years ago. And I'm not sure if you want me to go this far into it, but we are really, really good at holding client events and having them generate business back to us, not just from saying, hey, come over to the park and eat barbecue. We're going to pay for Sure. Well, I do want to dig into that, but I want to back up for a minute and I want to talk about something you brought up and that is you didn't keep your database in the, the beginning, and that is an error of a lot of us that do this for many reasons. We like to go out there and hunt or whatever the reason is, 
we lose track of the people that are the most valuable to us. And so one, I want to ask a quick question. That is, was that because you were so focused on the REO initially, you were in that recession? Do you think that's one of the reasons that you lost track? You were trying to keep up with the banks? Yeah, that's one of the reasons it did start. And, you know, honestly, back in those days, our database was REO contacts and asset managers. But I think it just kind of rolled over once our business did into a traditional sense. We never knew about how to do that very well with them other than saying, hey, let's go to a happy hour. And I think it's a problem that a lot of agents have because we're so ambitious and tenacious with trying to get new business. We work so hard to go out and find that new buyer or that new seller. And once that sale happens, we see that as the end of the road. We got our check, moving on, back into the hunt to try to find the next person. When I think a big fatal flaw of realtors is take care of the people that you've already taken care of. They're going to come back to you. And if you stay in touch with them, it's going to pay off. And by the way, it's not going to cost you anything. Yeah, (laughs) it's going to cost you a lot if you don't do it. Exactly. Well, you said that you made a decision about three, four years ago to change that and got active into your database. How did you do that? Did you go back and try to dig up all your past clients and put them into a database? Or did you just start fresh from that day forward? What did you do? We did. We kept track of every transaction through Top Producer at the time. And we did. We went back a couple of years and just pulled out every name that we had. Generally, all we had was a name, a phone number, an email address. A lot of times, we didn't even have the buyer's new address or their previous address or maybe their forwarding address if they were a listing. So we loaded those people into the database. And then we just started putting everybody in our database that we came in touch with. Open houses, previous clients, you know, from that point forward. Just really anybody you had a conversation with or had contact information for. And so how big is the database now? How many people are in there? Right now, we've got about 4,000 people in there, and we're adding to it constantly. Wow. Now, I assume, because what you mentioned, that includes a lot. That includes not just your past clients as sphere of influence, but also everyone that you've met. So let's go to the past clients. How many past clients do you think are in that database? Oh, gosh. Past clients, probably 210, 215. Okay. Yeah, so you're just getting that rebooted back up. And so the majority of it is people that you've learned about met, I assume, leads, any kind of lead that comes in off the internet or out of an open house or anywhere is going to be thrown into the system. Is that true? Well, we've kind of got two databases, one of which is people that know us and we know them or that we've done business with in the past. And then you mentioned specifically internet leads. We've had Boomtown in place to generate internet leads for almost 10 years, and we don't include those people in it. So in our Boomtown database right now, I think we've got 30,000 people we've accumulated over nine and a half years. I don't consider those database people, even though we are touching them and dripping on them. Okay. So the 4,000 people you've met or talked to in some way? Correct. Very good. Of course, you have a good-sized team, which we haven't got to yet, so that's why those numbers are getting so big. But very good. Now, let me ask you this. Do you do the 33-touch program to all 4,000? We do. Yep, it's set up. It's an auto-generated program that we initiate once we enter somebody into our database. And what software are you using for that database? We actually have kind of gone away from the top producer model, and we implemented Brivity about six months ago. 
So that's been a huge undertaking for our administrative team, rolling all these people from one platform to another and implementing all these action plans as far as the 33 Touch is concerned. But yeah, Privity is the program we're using today. And why did you make the switch? You know, not to knock on top producer, I think we had outgrown it, essentially. And we needed something with a little more depth to be able to touch our people with, have a little bit more content as far as the richness of what we were sending them. And then the tasking system in there was just outstanding. So we, we use Brivity now for our database management. We use it for our transaction management. And starting here in, a, in the very, very near future, we're going to be using it as our CRM for lead generation. Wow. Okay. So it's really working out for you. So far, so good. Yeah. Now let's talk about, you were getting into how you stay in touch with your people. You said the 33 touch, four of those have to be phone calls throughout the year, once a quarter. What else is going on with the 33 touch? You got four phone calls. What else happens? We're essentially putting together market snapshots that are specific to their neighborhoods that will go out. And this is actually driven through Brevity as well. And it's an auto-generated feature that's in there that we're super excited about. We have yet to send one out because we're just getting the wheels spinning on it right now and getting the pieces in place to deliver that. But aside that, we're also having every member of our team who has, quote unquote, their high value referral sources, past clients, sphere of influence type people, we're hosting small events for them. So every quarter we'll have a team event where each of our team members will invite those folks from their sphere or their database to come to one of these events. And they're usually very inexpensive, very informal, but very fun. Yeah, and so I assume that the contacts are going to float around this event. You have the event itself, that's one contact, and then you have a couple of invitations going before the event, maybe a post-event contact, and before you know it, you got 16, 20 contacts just because of the event. Exactly right, and you know one of the really impactful things that we do, and, and, and is often overlooked, is people want to feel like they're included. They want a, a sense of exclusivity with you. And when somebody can't come to one of our events, it's really important that we call them the next day and say, hey, we had such a great time last night. I thought of you and I knew you would have loved it. Just that phone call or that email or that instant message on Facebook or wherever means so much to somebody that you actually thought of them in their absence. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. What type of events are you doing? You said these are inexpensive but fun. So give us examples of what type of event you're putting on. Sure. So in January, we did a range night, which was a shooting range. And I think we had 15 or 20 people that came to it. I think we probably spent 250 bucks on it. And they had a blast. Had somebody there from the range to help out people who had never shot before. And we went through kind of the safety processes and all that stuff. And people were so excited about it. They were putting it on Facebook. They were putting it on Twitter and tagging real estate by design in all these posts. And then in February, we did, I don't know what the heck you call this, but these silk wraps that hang from the ceiling and it's kind of, you know, this acrobatic arrow, I don't know what the heck you call it, but you wind <laughs> yourself up in these silk wraps and swing around the room. And right. that was also a ton, a ton of fun. 
Yeah, I don't know what they call it either, but I, I've seen them do that on like Circus Soleil or whatever, right? They, they, they're out there. Yeah, and it's exactly really right. Cool yeah, looking, it, yeah. It, it wasn't quite as high flying as that, but it was certainly a great time. Did you get up there? Did you try that? I wasn't as gutsy. I was the one with the camera. <laughs> I had to ask. Now, we, we have a couple of bigger events every year, one of which we started doing a couple of years ago, and it was essentially bingo is all it was. So we'd have vendors agree to come in and pay for certain things. In this case, they were high-end handbags, and I think we had 15 or 16 of them. We rented out a facility that held about 150 people, and it was, if you had bought or sold a home with us in the last 12 months, you got an invite to this. And we would play bingo for every bag. Everybody had a card. But the kicker was, you know, we tried to do everything with purpose and not passively anymore. So we sent this invite out via Facebook. And for every referral you gave us from the time the invite went out to you till the event, we gave you extra bingo cards to play on, on whatever bag you wanted. And I believe out of that event, we had 18 referrals in about two weeks. And I think we had almost, it was 11 of them under contract within 90 days out of those 18 referrals. So it's a huge success. And again, our vendor partners helped us offset the cost. So the cost for us was minimal. The impact was huge. Wow, that is pretty impressive. So you really were able to directly draw what kind of results were coming out of this event. You said 11 closings out of the 18 referrals from that one idea of these bingo cards for these nice handbags. Correct. And, and we have so many people out of the 140 or so attendees that were there that ask us all the time, when are you going to do the bingo again? I know I'm going to win this time, but it was just such a great time. Everybody was really reserved and quiet and kept to themselves until we got halfway through the first game and people needed one or two numbers left. And then they were jumping on the tables and screaming and just going nuts. It was a great night. Now, I realized that you had the vendors help out. But without the vendors, how much was the total cost to put on that bingo event? Total cost, assuming we were doing the bags ourselves? Sure. What was the total cost if somebody was going to do this all by themselves? Probably around $6,000. So it was about $6,000 in total, and it resulted in 11 closings. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's a pretty good ROI. Yeah, well, heck, I mean, that was 11 closings within 90 days. We got the others under contract at certain points, too. And all that goodwill by inviting all those people out there to participate. Absolutely, and we get asked about it almost every time we go out and see somebody. Now, you said the vendors did help out, so you asked them, you said they purchased the bags, they purchased the giveaways? Yeah, if they were allowed to, by their industry standards or their company, they would come in and purchase a bag, and they would sponsor it, and they would come up and pull the numbers out of the hopper and call the numbers out for that game for their back. And so they got a little marketing too. They got to promote themselves and stand up at the front of the room and say who they were and get everybody excited about their business as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was beneficial for everybody who participated in it. I bet you the vendors want to come back and do it again too. Well, they're getting ready to find out because we have another one slated for later this year. You're going to do another bingo? We sure are. That's great. What other events have you done that have been very popular or successful? Uh, we love to sponsor things through schools. Uh, again, very inexpensive for maybe their fall festivals or their field days and things like that. Just get involved and go out. And it's amazing what it does for your business when you go out and genuinely do something for other people. It doesn't have to be setting up a tent with all of your logo stuff and you wearing your T-shirts and handing out tchotchkes with your, with your logo all over it. 
that goodwill really helps you out through word of mouth, if nothing else. So we're, we're really involved in schools, high schools, elementary schools, and uh, middle schools here in the DFW area, as well as San Antonio. And we've got things like that on the calendar for this year in Austin as well. You just started doing events in the last couple of years. What made you decide to start doing events? Uh, her name is Carissa. <laughs> as I mentioned, she's, she's the visionary. There's no doubt about it. She's our rainmaker. And she just has these great ideas. And more times than not, she's the one who can actually pull them off and make them work. So, you know, we wanted to be more forward-facing to our audience and out there, if you will, as opposed to being stuck in the office and making phone calls. We wanted to have face-to-face interaction. As you mentioned earlier, you can't put a value on that. And my assumption is it gives you a reason to call or to contact them. It gives you a reason to get Absolutely. in front of them. Makes it easy for you. It makes it easy for you. It gives you some reason. And your people, it gives you a reason to contact them. So now how are you contacting them in the invitation? Let's take that bingo night for example. How did you contact them? Did you send out emails? Did you make phone calls? I think you said something about messaging. What are all the ways that you contacted them to invite them? Yeah, the initial way was sending out Facebook invite to an event. You know, we do this about three weeks before the event itself. If we didn't have them on board, whoever may have been, on board within three or four days of sending that invite out, that warranted the phone call and said, hey, it's today with Real Estate by Design. You know, I haven't talked to you in a while, but I, we thought of you specifically because we'd love for you to come to our event. You may not have seen it, but check your event button Facebook. And just have a conversation about it. And then, of course, a general chit-chat, how you been, how are the kids, that sort of thing. Ah, very good. Did you also send out email or direct mail? We only sent that out if we didn't have or if those people weren't on social media in any way, shape, or form. So it was a smaller group. So you're, you're keeping your costs down. You're using the electronic mediums. I assume that also means that you've built up your Facebook friends list. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, we've got, uh, I believe, 4,000 followers to our local page here and several thousand in San Antonio and Austin as well. You said that the room for the bingo night would hold 150 people. Is that how many people showed up? Well, we had about 140 people playing, and then we had 10 people from our team there to kind of help facilitate the whole thing. But that was one of the really cool parts about it was it created so much buzz that when we hold the next event, bingo or otherwise, people know hey, we've got an RSVP for this because it's going to fill up and I don't want to miss it. I had such a good time at the last event. How many people did you invite to get the 140 people there? Probably about 400. So about 400. So about one in three showed up. Yep. And that's generally been about the typical response on anything driven like that through Facebook for us. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's actually higher than I would have expected. That's great. 25 to 30% is probably right along the average there. And I like how the business came out of that as a direct result of that party, that event. Did you say you're doing these quarterly or more often than that, these parties, these events? We're doing the smaller events quarterly, like the range night and the Cirque du Soleil night, we'll call it. The larger events, we'll do one or two of those a year. Okay. So maybe six events during the year then. Correct. Yeah, those larger events are really a a big undertaking from our administrative staff standpoint. You know, it takes weeks and weeks and weeks of really focused effort on that and that alone to get that thing pulled off. Yeah, 
I'm just looking at it, 11 transactions for a $6,000 investment. Again, it's a pretty good ROI and all the goodwill that went out. I don't think you're going to get that many transactions and that much goodwill out of, say, buying internet leads for $6,000. I can guarantee you that. You're right. Well, that's really exciting. If there was anybody listening, they were thinking about putting on an event, uh, they haven't done one yet, what would you tell them? Uh, they don't have to be big and they don't have to be expensive. Something we convey to everybody on our team is, you know, we changed our mindset a couple of years ago and decided to become less passive about what we do and more purposeful. And what I mean there is have something that the people are going to benefit from when they come other than, hey, thanks for a drink ticket sort of deal. At least have some meaningful conversations, some actionable items that you have a reason to follow up with these people on. And I'll go back to marketing from a passive and purposeful standpoint. A lot of people will get into farming or something like that that's really expensive. If you don't do it consistently and have a call to action in your farming, you're just kind of doing it. So a lot of people will get into farming, do it for two or three months. Well, I've got nothing out of this. I just spent $4,000 to farm this neighborhood. That's a time-tested fact that you've got to do it for 12 to 14 months before you see anything out of stuff like that. It's no different with anything else that we do. We want to make sure we've got actionable items, reasons to follow up with people, reasons to call people before the event to invite them, whatever it may be, because ultimately success in a realtor's world comes from having conversations. Let me ask another quick question about that bingo event. Did you do any type of announcement at the beginning to tell them who you are and why you're there and maybe ask for referrals? Oh, of course. Absolutely. We do that every time we're with, uh, with our clients. And the most important thing to convey to them is how much we appreciate them and how important they are to our success. Um, so yeah, heck yeah, that's the first thing we do. We get up there with a microphone, thank them all personally for being there, letting them know that they are there because they are a part of our success and we appreciate them tremendously. Another question about that, and I'm just thinking of this stuff. How did you track who was sending you a referral? You, you mentioned that they would get an extra bingo card if they sent you a referral. How is that, that the mechanism for that actually occurring? Were they calling you up? Were they sending you an email? Were they doing something through Facebook? How is it working? It could have been any of the above. So what would happen is, I mean, we, and it was a very crude system. We literally had an invitee or an RSVP list for everybody printed out. And every time somebody said, hey, this person just sent me a seller referral through Facebook, we would go over and jot a one by that person's name, knowing they get at least one extra bingo card when they show up. Ah. So we had a check-in table when people came. And if they had given us a referral or referrals before the event, we gave them a brown envelope with the 16 or 15 bingo cards for each of the purses in there, plus an extra bingo card or two for however many referrals they delivered. That's great. So when they're sitting next to someone else, they look special because they have the extra bingo card. There you go. The exclusivity. Exclusivity. That is, <laughs> there it is. Very nice. And you said you had a, a check-in table. Did everybody have a name tag? Yep. Everybody had a name tag, had their own uh, bingo dauber inside the envelope with their cards, and you know some little tchotchkes and marketing pieces from us. Uh, that is fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I want to switch gears now and talk about your team. Could you describe your team and what we're looking for is a big picture overview of the team so someone could kind of get a big, quick picture of the kind of the team chart of who these folks are out on the team? Well, myself and Carissa, and we've got 18 agents on our team. And then we have a transaction coordinator who handles 
all the transaction coordination for all of our locations, all three. We've got a marketing specialist who handles everything marketing-wise for all three locations. Uh, and we have a listing manager. And then we've got a team runner here in our hub and soon to hire a team runner in San Antonio as well because we're getting so busy down there. And so what is your job? What is your title? What is your job? I was in production until last December. I, I took 17 listings myself last year, in addition to all the other things that I do on the team. And right now, my whole function is to increase our conversion on our internet leads. Uh, we were, I'm ashamed to say, trending about 1% for the last several years. And my goal this year is to close close to 200 internet leads driven just through our CRM advertising, doesn't include Zillow or anything else you may be involved with. And I would love to have 200 closings from our, our internet leads this year. What would be the conversion percent if you hit the 200? Three and a half percent. So you're looking to triple, just over triple your results. What are you doing to get those triple or higher results? Being persistent and consistent with what I'm doing every day. So I've got a lot of times that I'm calling, I'm making a minimum of 50 outbound calls a day to people I haven't spoken to before. And unless the building is on fire or you need to go to the ER, don't knock on my door because that's my sole function right now. How long has it taken you to make those 50 calls? Uh, probably four to five hours. It really depends on how many conversations you're having. You know, I'd love to get in there and be on the phone for eight hours and say I only made 12 calls. That means I had some really meaningful conversation and some action items as a result of them. But yeah, that's our biggest area of improvement that's right in front of us right now. No question about it. Very good. And what is uh, Carissa's role? Carissa's still doing her rainmaking, visionary. Uh, she does a lot of interviewing and a lot of hiring. So she's on the road quite a bit. Spends a whole lot of time in training and masterminding with other, other folks who have similar business to us. Uh, who is the CEO? Uh, I guess that would be Carissa. Yeah, she's the CEO. I'm the COO. Very good. So CEO and COO. So there again, you've split out your roles in the company. Yeah, we have to have them. Yeah, it's hard to, to intertwine those two roles and have it be harmonious all the time. And for people who are listening that may be partners in business and also in life or husband-wife teams, you know exactly where I'm coming from. You have 18 agents working for you, do they specialize in either listings or buyers, or do they do both? They do both. So yeah, we've never adopted the, uh, this is a listing specialist, this is a buyer specialist. They are transaction specialists. What's their title? How do you label them? What's on their business card? Sales consultant or realtor, whatever they decide. And a big question people have when they're putting together teams is how to set up compensation for agents on the team. Could you tell us what you've done? Um, so we've got a pretty generous split towards our agents, more generous than the industry norm, that's for sure. But that's also been one of the reasons we're able to retain talent. You know, typically when somebody comes into a team, I've heard some, some models where they get as little as 10%. We're more towards the middle of the road on team-generated deals. And then on their own personal generated deals, there may be a 5% or a 10% swing in their favor for things they generate through their own sphere. There is no generic split that applies to everybody, that's for sure. There are different splits that will kick in based on certain performance. So if after they do $4 million in volume in their first calendar year, their personal split may go to this or that. So team-generated leads, it's 
pretty split down the middle evenly, you know, 40 to 50% for our buyer's agents. Okay. And then 50% back to us. That makes a lot of sense. So you said 40 to 50%. Does it matter whether it was a listing or a buyer? Actually, it does now. We've implemented a new plan because our cost for listings is about $1,100 in hard cost before we go live in MLS. So the, the price of doing a listing business is much more expensive than the buy side. Sure. So yeah, there's a 5% swing back to the team to absorb those costs for a listing. Okay. So 5% less for a listing, which by the way, sounds like a really small amount to me, but that's what you guys have set up. And so it's 50-50 if it's a team generated business, it goes down by 5% if it's a listing. So the agent gets 45. Am I getting that about right? Generally, yes. There are certain nuances here and there, but that's that's a pretty basic picture of it, yeah. And how about their own personal business when they bring business in? Is it a different split then? It is. It's it's probably more towards 50 to 60% in their favor for their own personally generated business. Okay. And, and you're giving these ranges because it sounds like you've established some type of acceleration if they do more volume. It goes up if they do more volume. Exactly right. And I just want to give people a general idea. Has that been profitable for you to do it at these splits? It has, and it's it's promoted people to grow their business because they want to hit, for example, that volume goal where a different split may take effect. It really drives the behavior of everybody on the team. So our administrative staff is incented upon the total company dollar for the month. If we hit a certain amount in gross company dollar, they're paid a percentage of that as a bonus. And we want to make sure that everybody's doing everything they can to get every closing to the table. Is your business profitable? Uh, We are at 24% profitability right now for 2017. Uh, So, you know, we run a pretty lean ship from an administrative standpoint. You know, we're on track for our goal of 480 units this year, and we're still maintaining three full-time admin to do that. And we're certainly going to have to hire more full-time paid staff this year. But... We run very efficiently. Our systems are helping us out a ton with efficiency. And I'm speaking of the, especially brevity, kind of every piece of brevity talks to the other piece of brevity, which makes us able to keep everything condensed and very efficient. Yeah, I was going to say earlier, your transaction coordinator is incredibly productive to be doing so much volume and, and it must come down to a really great system. A question I have for you as people, how are you finding great people for your team? Well, Carissa spends probably 50% of her time evaluating talent. And she's got a natural knack for it, but she's also trained uh, just extensively in the hiring process, understanding personalities, reviewing personality profiles, the whole nine yards. So I think uh, one mistake that folks make is, you know, what the requirement for being on your team, what is it? Some, some people have the, you know, do you have a pulse and a real estate license? Come on. <laughs> we want people who are going to be successful. So 2017, we had three first-year agents who made between seventy dollars and $170,000. Wow. That's far and above higher than the industry norm. Uh, so we really invest our time up front. You know, they say be slow to hire and quick to fire. We're very slow to hire, probably not as quick to fire as we should be, but we're, we're learning. Well, Jay, what drives you? Very clear to me. I mean, my family, obviously, uh, but my family goes beyond the walls of my house. I mean, everybody on our team, we have deep compassion for, a very, very personal and vested interest in their success. We want them to have lives that are fruitful and meaningful to them. We won't, don't want them to be tied to a desk or tied to a phone or have the inability to, to do what they need to do with 
with their spouse or their partner or their kids, whatever it may be, a quality of life for our team is so, so important. Well, Jay, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Number one is get your sphere and your database in order. I can't stress that enough. And by the way, I'll, I'll add once again, it's free. It's free business and it's almost bulletproof business. It's yours to lose if you get a lead from it. I lose sleep over the fact that we didn't have a database for all those years. No question about it. But the next thing would be to be consistent with what you do. So find a couple things you're comfortable doing, whether it's going out and holding open houses and door knocking 50 doors the day before, or if it's getting on the phone and calling Fizbo's and expired, which is everybody's least favorite thing to do. Find your couple of things and just hit them hard and be very, very consistent with it because you'll start to develop your own style, your own script, and it'll be second nature to you. Well, Jay, do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing right now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Of course. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how much of our success we can attribute to people who have been forthcoming with information and their failures along the way. And I think that's exactly what we're doing right here. Well, Jay, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? Uh, Just to put yourself out there, don't be afraid to take a risk and just be very consistent with what you're doing. Because if you apply yourself to something and you will not take no as an answer, not talking specifically about speaking to a buyer or seller, you will be successful. If you're hard-headed enough, you will be successful. Well, Jay, you and Carissa have proven that you're both hard-headed enough to succeed. You searched out a job that allowed you to sit at a desk while your two shattered hills in two separate casts hilled for two years. And when Carissa drove around at night looking for run-down houses during the recession, stopped her car, knocked on the door, and offered her short-sell services, you both have applied that tenacity to building a successful team in the traditional resale market. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 220 luxury homes last year worth $370 million. Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. 
You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.